Hello and welcome to the Folklore Podcast. I'm Mark Norman, folklore researcher and author. Before we kick off, I just wanted to give you a brief reminder that we're running an online ticketed lecture series again this year, and all of the details are already up and available on our website. You can enjoy 15 world-class speakers in folklore, watch illustrated presentations and ask questions in a Q&A session. There's a wide variety of topics, and ticket holders will also receive video replays of any talk that they book for so there's no danger of missing anything. Each lecture is only £5, but you can book for the whole year and get a discount of a third on the ticket price, so essentially four free talks. Visit our website at www.thefolklorepodcast.com slash lectures, where you can find information on all of the talks and speakers, as well as booking links. Money Raised supports both the work of the podcast and the Folklore Library and Archive. On this episode, we welcome a new guest presenter to the podcast. Beth O'Brien, creator of Disabled Tales, joins the team to chat with author Catherine Bloor about her new book, Soul of a Raven, just published by Cranthorpe Milner. When Seren discovers a hidden family manuscript, she has no idea what she's set in motion. The old pages reveal the bewildering tale of an ordinary Victorian girl, Wren, who's given an enchanting pendant that changes her life. Sarin reads all night, compelled to discover the fate of her ancestor. Will Wren fulfil her destiny to protect the cursed London Stone like the witches before her? Or will the relentless Raven Man be her downfall? Will she lose everyone she ever loved? Will she lose herself? As Serin reads Wren's tale, strange things start to happen, and she begins to believe she may have unleashed dormant dark magic upon herself. In this book, Catherine skillfully combines real history and details gained from three census years to add authenticity to the three sections of her story. Defying genre categorisation, this novel will appeal to fans of historical fiction as much as those who enjoy a good helping of gothic fiction, magic and mythology. Let's find out what Beth made of it, and what she learned from Catherine in their interview. Hi Catherine, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm so excited to talk to you about your book that is out this month, Soul of a Raven. Thank you so much for joining us on the Folklore Podcast. Well, thank you so much for inviting me on. It's a real honour. I'm very excited to talk to you about your book because, well, as a book, it's wonderful. But secondly, there is so much folklore material for us to discuss and delve into. Um, and as an author interviewer, I feel like it's a very cliche question to ask you about your inspiration for this book. But I really want to ask you because there's a book within the book, right? That's true. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't mean for any of it to happen as it happened, <laughs> but that is the way it kind of happened. And and it and it worked out that I had to include the present day bits with the historical bits in order for it all to make sense in the end. And and I really enjoyed writing both of those bits actually. So so you started with? Did you start with the historical? stuff I started yeah I started with the historical stuff because I was looking into my family tree 
and I was discovering these. I never knew from both sides of my family where we were from, both rural, um, quite poor, and um, and 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 I delved into the the census material and found out where where they lived and their ages and their addresses and it was just it was fascinating and I loved it but because censuses just give you this tantalizing glimpse of someone's life and they don't really tell you everything at all and I, I wanted to know more and of course you you don't know more that's it really so so then I found myself kind of making up little story in my head of what their lives could have been and and all this stuff and one thing led to another and it got it slightly out of hand really <laughs> <laughs> slightly out of hand is one way of putting it um I think it's probably a more positive spin that we could give that. Um, <laughs> what, um, sorry, which characters in particular then did you base on your own um, family tree then? Well, so it, well, it was been my three times great grandmother, um, my four times great grandmother, and my five times great grandmother. And she was the one who she worked as a wardress in the Petworth jail, the Petworth House of Correction, as it was. So I bought a book about the Petworth House of Correction, uh, just um, a lovely local history book. For, and um, and it, was what, it was a real eye-opener about how, how they treated prisoners back in those days in the very early 19th century. And they had this horrible thing um, called uh, a wheel so that they all had to stand on this wheel and make it turn and it, uh, for hours at a time um, for, for no purpose at all. <laughs> and it must have been absolutely exhausting and pretty bad, actually. So, yeah, that, that was it was it was um, it was a proper proper eye opener. That was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see how that image would have stuck with you. And for people who haven't. Well, the book's not even out yet, but when people read the book, that that wheel makes an appearance, in a, you know, <laughs> In it. And I'm very squeamish, so I read that with like one eye closed. <laughs> um, I didn't know that some of these characters have been based on your family trees. So that's so interesting. Um, there's a lot of local history littered yeah. throughout the book. Yeah. There's several locations and stuff. Um, although, um, so I'm thinking um, there's a, there's the Chichester Cathedral spire collapse, um, mm-hmm. London Stone. Right. Um, yeah, there's, there's a few. Are those locations? Um, Yes, because my yes. So my ancestor, she was working as a as a housemaid at the time that the Chichester um, Cathedral spire collapsed. Um, so it just popped up as a thing. So she would have seen it. She would have been there at the time when it happened, or she would have had. You know, there would have been lots of talk about what happened, and and it would have been a massive event for that time. It was eighteen sixty one, I think, and it would have been a massive event for the town. Something crazy that happened. And and so I just kind of uh, tried to imagine being there really and what it was like. So yeah, so that was her. She would have experienced that. It's that's amazing. And just for people listening, that was a real historic event at the spire of the that's cathedral. It. it just fell downwards, didn't it? I think it's been described as like a telescope collapsing in on itself. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and they weren't really expecting it. I think all the workmen had just gone out for lunch, and and lucky. then it happened. <laughs> Very lucky. That's when they took their lunch break. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And of course, so that was a real historical event, but you give it a folkloric, magical um, sort of emphasis. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, that seems to be my thing. I seem to, <laughs> I seem to like to um, find something that actually happened, 
but then put an, an extra element in there. I'm not quite sure why I feel like I need to do that, but it kind of, I don't know, it, it kind of makes it more alive somehow. And and I, I love the idea of real things um, all linking together and somehow um, just, yeah, so it may, may, maybe it's all, all, the, all the folklore and all the myth and all the magic that people used to believe in in those days. Maybe, maybe things like that were linked and um, who knows? Yeah, well, I think um, you do it really well. I think this weaving of the folkloric elements with the the actual historic moments it 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 works really seamlessly, and it just you buy into the world more because there are those sort of elements of the familiar locations and the names of things, and then just like littered in with all of these yeah strange and mysterious um, happenings. So maybe we could move maybe more onto some of the the magical things. Um, we want do you want. Do you want to talk about London Stone? Do you want to talk about the hair pendant? Well, the London Stone, obviously, is a real thing. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating because I, I had never heard of it before, before I started looking into sort of magic and myths that were within London. And this po- it just popped up on the internet, the London Stone. I thought, well, that's ridiculous. I got to my age and I've never heard of it before. <laughs> and I don't... Um, give us a Sorry. summary. Do you want to just well, give us a, a, well, a summary of what it is? It's a random lump of stone that's been sitting <laughs> sitting in London. It's limestone for for as long as anyone um, has known. So probably since the Roman times, they think. And and there's the, um, lots of myths of have grown up around it. And um, but basically, um, the myth is that if it's ever removed or destroyed from London, this stone, then London itself will be destroyed as well. Um, so it's always sat there, and it's always been. First of all, it was in Candlewick Street, and then and now, which is now Cannon Street in London, quite obviously right in the centre there. And it used to be a massive tourist attraction, so everyone would have known about it and all the stories around it, like. Um, Jack Cade once bashed it with his sword and declared himself to be the king of London or something. And and so people knew about it. But then since the Second World War, it seems that nobody, it's been forgotten about. Nobody's really heard of it. My parents, who both lived in London, didn't know about it. They grew up there and they didn't know about it post-war. So, um, yeah, so it's kind of been lost, but it's there, sat in the wall, on in the middle, in the street, <laughs> For anyone to walk past and either see or not see, and and I suppose it, it will be there forevermore. And the London Stone in your book is very yeah. important. Everything kind of hinges around it, really, because um, the 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 main character in my book she's she's trying to fulfil her destiny by um, protecting the stone from um, from being destroyed. Uh, by various, uh, well, um, various natural events and also um, quite an evil guy who's pursuing her, who's, who, is, who, is, uh, who is, is immortal and, and uh, quite a troubled character. Yeah, that's one way to put it as well. <laughs> um, where did, so the, the um, villain you're talking about, um, Corvus, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So... Um, let's let's talk about him because yeah, he is a very key character, a, not a very nice character, but has a very interesting. Uh, we're going to say origin story, like how he comes into being. Um, maybe you can talk uh, to us a little bit about that. And was that from your imagination? Was that was that folklore inspired? Of the um, he's sort of well, born from other souls, right? 
Yeah, that's it. I suppose it was kind of um, folklore inspired. Well, because I, I, I was working, because I work in a library, so I was looking through a, a book about druids one day, and mm-hmm. so these amazing old pictures um, uh, of, of sacrifices and all sorts of nasty things, and it really got my imagination going. So yeah, so poor old Corvus was was born from from um, from druidic practices back in before the roman times so he yeah he was he's he is born from two murdered souls and he he is a troubled being and he's immortal and he gradually gets more and more human as the centuries go on until he meets my main character in the victorian times and and um there's a bit of a showdown and he's so menacing as a character i think um yeah, like the way you describe him, you, like you feel like he's following and watching. It's it's really it's really well done, and I and yeah, I think um, it's interesting that he becomes more human over time because I think often um, in folklore and fantasy fiction we see a um, a human de- sort of degenerate into a more monstrous form. That's true, actually. I'd not thought of that before. Oh, no, okay. I, I was just wondering if that would, yeah, had been... Uh, um... Maybe maybe to me it was more menacing that he became more human. Yeah, yeah that's know. also a very valid perspective. <laughs> yeah, okay, that was that was just an observation I had because um, it's a probably irrelevant side note, but um, lots of the uh, research I'm doing at the moment is about the representation of disability in fairy tales and folklore and and the tropes with that is generally the, um, yeah, the, I don't know, like the handsome prince turned into a beast. To, yeah, um, that's that, that, true. That, yeah. It normally moves in that direction. Um, so, I, so I quite liked um, <laughs> that yeah. being flipped and him, um, he well, becomes more evil or more um, fixed on his... Yeah his own guy I don't want to give much away because no one would have read the book yet um he becomes yeah more fixated and determined in his plan which isn't exactly a very um positive plan for for London um but um yeah that his that he becomes um yeah from um bird form more and more human so yeah yeah I think I think humans are much more menacing than the bird he came from and there's there's a lot of bird imagery in this book. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's probably my husband's fault because he's actually a bird watcher. So I don't know; it's all ingrained inside me. All these <laughs> um, yeah, because lots of um, your female characters are named for birds, aren't they? That's it. Yeah, yeah. Was there yeah, any so... selection process around that, or was it you like the like? Um, obviously, there's a lot of raven folklore, and um, for the other names, was was there a sort of thought process or was it um no no I think I just picked the nice ones I think the nice ones, ones that work well as, as human names really but yeah, yeah. birds birds ravens uh, crows all all the corvids they are obviously su- such such a um an image of evil or or just the menacing presence aren't they they're so they're, they're mm-hmm. yeah so it's it was just something really really cool to tap into we started with me talking about the fact that you wrote a book within a book, um, which I'm just very impressed with because I can barely plan one storyline, let alone you kind of wrote two and they had to link. Um, so um, maybe we can talk about Ren's story. 
um mm-hmm. and uh, maybe how so how did it come about that so we have Ren's story which is Victorian times and then mm-hmm. we have Sarah's story which is essentially present day 2020 2021 yes yes um, well, I guess, yeah I guess it, yeah I've always liked the idea of someone discovering something I've always been one of those people who like when 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 they've got a move into a new place they have to investigate the attic just in case there's something exciting there or some treasure or something so I've just always really liked that idea so the best how the book starts off with with Sarin discovering um this manuscript which kind of leads her down this whole this whole trail of 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 um, knowledge and, and events and and the one thing and it but it leads into the end of the book and and she discovers so much and then of course yeah she she realizes that she's um, opened a door that maybe she can't a magical door that she can't shut anymore um, and and on the way she she discovers all about her ancestor Ren and um and all the others in that in that time at I I just love the Victorian period I think a lot of people love reading about the Victorian period I think it's such an accessible period obviously because there's so much documentation so we know so much about it um I did a history degree so and a lot of the stuff that I did was around the Victorian period but um it was it's just such a fascinating time because I think it's so accessible um and so, so, and because yeah, we know we know so much about the ancestors that we can find. So, so yeah, it seemed, and it, and and also it's quite a kind of spooky sort of time as well, a very gothic sort of time. You can make it really, really spooky. So it just seemed to all tie in together. So that's why I picked that time. Mm, yeah, and I was going to ask about where your research about like Victorian London, for example, came from because it's very vivid. It's very. Um... Yeah, very striking, and and I think you're right about you to make it um, kind of spooky, and I suppose that ties into what we were saying earlier about giving historic events a magical twist, because actually some events maybe weren't explainable in, in the same way, or, or there were superstitions around um, certain things that, that you can tap into. So um, I, I read about, I read, I used... Um, Booth and Mayhew as good sources about London because both of them wrote so much. They they interviewed people on the on the streets and so that it was in their books. Like I think it's Mayhew in his books. He um the there's a whole there's pages and pages of of an interview with one person and this person would have been an ordinary person, not someone with any money, but just a, a person on the street selling things, for example. And it was just fascinating, the language that was used and 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 how they thought differently about things. That's amazing. I kind of want to read that book now. Yeah, it's really, it's, you'd be able to get it from a library. Yeah, there's still nothing there. <laughs> Said the true librarian. <laughs> yeah. um, so the, uh, the other um, element of, um, I suppose, the, the magic and the folklore I really wanted to talk to you about was um, the pendant. Um, that sort of a very powerful object that is passed from character to character. And um, where did that idea come from? Um, maybe, I know we don't want to give too much away, but like, um, yeah, what? That's just sparkly magic, that is. I just magic. <laughs> sparkly magic. <laughs> sparkly magic. So I made it all up with a goddess, you know, so um, lovely, a, a beautiful, beautiful goddess and sparkly magic and magic things out there 
that's all that's where that came from that's it really <laughs> but you're making it sound very lovely but there's like a weird power to it people get very attached yeah, to this object don't they they're very they become yeah it's a bit it's a bit like the ring in lord of the rings it, you, it is actually yeah it. yeah you can't let it go once you've got yeah it. So you make it sound all beautiful, airy-fairy, but actually there's there's a darker side to it that, like... um... (laughs) It's always a dark side. This pendant wants to move on. It doesn't doesn't want to stay with anybody who finds it. It wants to move on so it can fulfil the destiny with with the next person. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's got an agenda, this pendant, and it's pretty ruthless. (laughs) Yeah. It will go from person to person. Yeah, it was good fun. I, I, do you know what? It was such good fun just making all this stuff up mm-hmm. and linking it in with um, history. I just really loved it, and I loved adding all the dark side bits. Oh, mm-hmm. it was great fun. Um, one question I always like to ask was that so was there anything that you read or discovered um, in your research that didn't make it into the book that was just like a cool fact or like anything that like or not really because. I don't know, maybe, maybe you already knew a lot of it from your history degree or whatever, but sometimes there's like nuggets of research that you're like, oh, I really want to work that in. And then in the process of revising and editing, it doesn't it doesn't quite make it. Well, I wrote lots of I wrote lots of chapters that didn't go in, actually. All, all, but but I don't think it was anything in particular that, pe- that people don't know about. It was just lots of different things that had happened in London Um and I, and I kind of made 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 link them in to the London Stone and the things that were happening, the magic at the time. But it was it became all too much. It became it became not very linked to the story. But I, I loved writing just random little scenes mm-hmm. of London history. And I did find out things. I found out about the Black Dog of Newgate, which I hadn't known before. About um, this, yeah, mythical black dog. And there's a lot of mythical black dogs, isn't there, around the country? Mm-hmm. But there was one linked to Newgate and. And he he apparently this dog if you if you saw him out out outside the walls of Newgate then 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 you were doomed or something like that so it was quite a menacing presence so I did find out things like that um, yeah so it's amazing as when when you just look into things or ask yourself questions as you're writing things and it's amazing what you can find helps of course with the internet I mean yes. I don't I don't know how people wrote books without the internet actually yeah i i agree with you i i don't i don't know what i'd do without the internet so um yeah it considerably speeds up the process which for the process still seems to take a long time so i don't understand how people did it before but not only that but you can do it from a distance so i i live up in the northeast of scotland and all this stuff is set down in petworth and chichester and Mm -hmm. And, um so you know that you can't just pop pop to the local library can you if you live 500 miles away so the internet is incredible really yeah definitely um so um again without spoiling the end of the book will there be a sequel <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i hadn't actually intended for there to be one but I, I guess it's kind of open there, isn't it? So I don't know. I've, I'm kind of I'm kind of thinking I want to write about something different. So I've got I'm writing something different at the moment. I've kind of got into um, water spirits and folklore around water. I don't know why, but that's quite fascinating at the moment. So and and finding some stories from up in Scotland. So, but but yeah, I guess it's always open. Maybe maybe one day I'll write a sequel. <laughs> 
yeah like just i just yeah from, from from the very ending i wasn't sure whether whether there were plans um like yeah, I, yeah I, don't, I don't know sure yeah but it's it's not it's not a definite no so i'll, no. I'll take it as a maybe <laughs> yeah <laughs> well i'm excited to hear that you're still writing anyway and that um there's more folklore stuff to come i think the more you read about folklore the more you get into the whole idea it's just amazing mm-hmm. The, the tales and 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 the knowledge that's been passed down is still around. You can still find it, and it's fascinating, isn't it? And it's it's all around us all the time, anyway. Of course, folklore and superstition. And I was just looking at my horseshoes the other day. We've got loads of horseshoes we found in the garden, and they're kind of all we've we've lined them all up and put them all the right way up to keep the luck in. And you're like, well, where did, where did that come from? <laughs> It's comforting, though, isn't it, to have things we can do? It is. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, but it's all still there, isn't it? All these little things. Yes, definitely. And I think also it's all so local as well. So I think one of the things I loved about your book is that each different location did have its its different elements. But that's the same as like if I'm going away somewhere, I'll want to look up the local folklore and think, okay, like what? Because there's always there's always something that's different to where you're from. That's a tale or or a yeah, like you said about the Newgate black dog and things, things you wouldn't That's you wouldn't it. know until you know it, if that makes any kind of sense. Yeah, yeah things that have um, been there for like like 200 years, just within the psyche of the local people, mm-hmm. and a different story to some to other to other areas. Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, very fascinating. Um, so you gave us a little hint. I was going to I was going to yeah ask about what you're working on now I know you said it was about um water spirits um can you tell us more or is that as, is that as much as we can get at the moment uh, well uh, it's kind of um yeah there's uh, there's lots of ideas I'm kind of wanting to thread together and I wanted to use again real historical events and link it all into magic and myth because that's just what I like to write about so I found this wonderful story from um, a local a local book um, up in Scotland here, there was um, there was a chap who was infamous at, infamous at the time back in the late 18th century, and he was a thief and a, a kind of a petty criminal, but he managed to pretty much escape from every single jail, um, from every single town in in this area of Scotland, and it was the story is incredible. Wow. So, I was thinking of maybe it would be fun to actually write something about that and and also link that in with some folklore and some magic. That sounds amazing. I'm already invested. <laughs> <laughs> and I want to know how he escaped. <laughs> so do I. Yeah, yeah. It's gonna be good. <laughs> and then my last question I just wanted to ask you is very, um, I suppose unrelated to your writing specifically, but do you have a favourite folktale? No. <gasps> Oh my word, that's a question. I don't. I ask this question. I can't pick one because I'm a very indecisive person. So if you don't have one, it doesn't have to be your ultimate favourite. It can just be one that resonates or sticks with you, or even just the first one that springs to mind. That's also fine. Okay. Well, I, there, as you say, there are so many. I mm-hmm. can't think of favourite. But we were talking about the black dogs earlier, and I do like because I come from East Anglia. Mm-hmm. And um, I do love the story of the black dog from Bungay, and and um, apparently you can still see there was a horrific storm and lightning 
and and the, this black dog burst through the doors of a church into into the crowded congregation and and um, ran up to the altar and and um, and burst into into a ball of flames or something. But apparently, you can still see the claw marks in the church door of where this dog came in. <laughs> it was about wow. fourteen something, and uh, yeah, so. Yeah, so that's in Bungay, Suffolk. <laughs> wow. I mean, that's, that's considering you didn't know what your favourite was, that's a very impressive story and one I hadn't heard, so... <laughs> oh, that's <yeah>. good. <laughs> Amazing. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for talking to me today. It was a pleasure to read your book. It's been a pleasure to talk to you and pick your brains over all things historic and folklore. Um, and best of luck for the Water Spirit book. I'll look forward to it. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's, it's been fun. Thanks so much. You can get a copy of Soul of a Raven in paperback and ebook formats from all good bookshops. Catherine is on Twitter to follow at Kathy Bloor. To find out more about Beth, visit her website at www.bethobrienwriter.com. O'Brien is spelled with an E. You can also follow Disabled Tales on Twitter too, at Disabled Tales. We are delighted to archive the work of Disabled Tales in the digital archives at the Folklore Library and Archive, ensuring that this valuable collection of folk materials relating to themes of disability remain accessible for future generations of researchers. Visit the Library and Archive online at www.folklorelibrary.com to view the archives and find out more. We'll be back soon with the next episode of the Folklore Podcast. Don't forget that you can support us for just a pound a month on Patreon and access a massive back catalogue of exclusive extra content. For a little more, you can join our Discord server and chat with myself and other supporters. Visit www.patreon.com slash thefolklorepodcast to find out more and to help to keep us going. Thanks for listening. See you next time.